pray that you're feeling part of it this morning and the celebration. What we're going to do now is we love in this church uh, to, to think through what does God think? What is God's ways? What is he saying to us? Uh, and the way we do that primarily is, is reading the Bible. We believe this is inspired by God. This is God's love letter to us. And so we just love taking time just to unpack some of the things that God is saying to us through uh, this book, his word. And, and then we just say, look, just go and digest it. Go and think through for yourself. Is this really what it says? And then if this is true, this is the difference it should make to how we live in the here and now. And so if you want to take, take your Bibles, if you haven't got a Bible, I'm not sure if we've just given them all away at the back, but if we still have some. Um, but if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse um, eight, 18. This is what Paul is writing to this church in Philippi. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage... Now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you've done this morning. And Holy Spirit, continue to speak. Now, please. Thank you, you're not made up, God. Thank you, you're not a fairy tale. You're not a, a, an academic subject or a, a philosophical entity. You are alive, you are personal, you're a king, and you want to speak into people's hearts this morning. And so, God, come and capture something of what I'm saying, please, and bring it into, your, bring it into people's hearts and souls so that me and everyone here will just walk out here differently to the way we walked in. We want to enjoy you, God. So come, Holy Spirit, I pray, and speak to us, God, please. I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't yet know you, that they just capture something of the joy of being a Christian this morning. And uh, Lord, just, just, just encourage your people, please, today. Amen. Amen. What I want to do this morning is talk on living a life of purpose, living a life that we were created to live, and just like this, this photo imagery of, of doing things that weren't what we were created to do. A hammer was never created, even though many of us may have tried to hammer in a screw. That's not what it was created for. And this morning, I want to just think about what are we created for? What is the purpose of life? And the reality is this. There are two great truths over every human being. The first truth is this. We were created to glorify God. We were created to declare how incredible he is, how magnificent he is, how beautiful he is, how wonderful he is. That is why we were created. 
And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We were created to declare his magnificence and majesty. That is one of the reasons we are alive. That's one of the reasons we exist. But there is another truth and reason over every human being. We were created to be happy. Every human being, whatever they think about God, there is a longing to find something that they're satisfied in, something that they treasure, something that they enjoy. And and that is a a truth of, of atheists, agnostics, theists. Every human being on this planet pursues happiness. The philosopher uh, Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French scientist, philosopher, theologian, put it this way. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war, of others avoiding it. It is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of man. All men and women seek happiness. And there's these two great truths over us this morning. And as I shared a bit earlier, I've been a Christian 33 years. I became a Christian when I was 10. I remember kneeling down and giving my life to Jesus as a 10-year-old for what I grasped of the truth of who he was on a Pathfinder summer camp. No one else I knew my age was a Christian. Never really had a church, didn't have a church like this. And I started this journey, and and I learned very quickly this first truth, that I was to glorify God in my life. That that, that one of the things I was created for was to declare to the people around me the beauty of Jesus. But the reality was there was another truth that I knew was there, and I longed to be happy. I longed to know joy. And I was almost told that to pursue happiness was almost a sin. That if there's a pursuit of being satisfied, there's something wrong with you. The primary thing is duty and obedience, and you must do this to glorify God. And I began to feel in my heart that the pursuit of joy was almost something that God wasn't interested in. And so for me, and we've heard it in the testimonies, I, I pursued my joy in other things. I've got to be honest, my mates were far happier than any Christian I knew. They, they enjoyed life. The Christians I met were boring. They were narrow-minded in a sense of just, this is what it is to be a Christian. You don't do this, you don't do that, you definitely don't do that. But there was no sense of why. It was just a list of rules and regulations. And if I'm honest, I was gutted at times of being a Christian. I just grew up in my teenage years, and I'd be leaving parties early because I knew that if I stayed, I'd just get legless like I used to do. I knew I'd have to not go to clubbing because I just knew I'd, I'd be tempted and pulled in because I was too not weak I was too weak in my faith to not try and chase after girls although in Lord's mercy he gave me the anointing of ugliness so I was never <laughs> successful in that but there's this truth that I was created to in, to glorify God but I longed to be happy and I just remember walking away from parties with my mates just feeling you've got such a better life than me and yet I'm a Christian And in me, there was this deep sense of, this can't be what it is. And in 2003, um, so a long time after I became a Christian, I attended a conference at a church called St. Helen's Bishopsgate in London. And a guy called John Piper was preaching. And he spoke and opened up the Bible in a way that I'd never heard anyone speak about before. 
And he said this, God has created the longing for joy because only in him is that longing fully realized. That these two truths over every human being are God-given. And the way that God is most glorified in us is when we are most satisfied in him. That these two things aren't opposites. They're actually part of the same coin. And I just want to unpack that this morning, this truth that we were created to glorify God. But the way we glorify him the most in our lives is by living a life that flows from a heart that delights in him, that treasures him, that enjoys him, that, that walks closely with him. This is the reason you exist, is to declare to this universe the joy of knowing God. That is why this church exists. It is to lift up the name of Jesus. I didn't, there's nothing wrong. I love the testimonies when there's a really broken life that finds Jesus. There was nothing wrong with my life. I loved life. I just found someone greater than the life I was living. Both testimonies are equally valid. And it's the joy of knowing God that I just want to think about this morning. Is that okay? And here's Philippians 1. Here's Paul sat in a prison cell. He, 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 he could, he's facing potential death in a matter of hours. He doesn't know whether he's going to stay alive or whether he's going to be executed simply because he loves Jesus. And he sat here in this cell and in this moment he's reflecting on life and death. Very profound moment. And he just gets to this point where he reflects on this truth that in verse 20 he says, I'm created to glorify God." He says, but that with full courage, courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. In verse 20, he's saying, I just want Jesus to be magnified in my body. He's saying, anything that happens to me, I just want to do with a sense of, may you see Jesus. May you see him, whether I live or whether I die. I just want people to see that and think, wow, Jesus is incredible. That is what he's saying in verse 20. And then in verses 21 and 23 in Philippians 1. He says, the way Jesus is most glorified in my life is in my delight in him. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So it wasn't a suicidal thought. This was a theological fact, a relational truth. He's saying in this moment, I may die, I may live. But do you know what? I just want Jesus to be glorified in whatever happens. But do you know what? If I die, I'm going to be so much more happier because it means I'll go and see him face to face where there's no more faith, no more suffering, no more mourning. You just see him in his glory and his beauty and his magnificence, literally face to face, physically face to face. And when Paul pondered on that, he said, you know what? I want to do that more than I want to live. And when you understand who Jesus is, it shifts your whole perspective on life and death. In these verses 21, 23, he's he's saying this, I want my life to glorify Jesus. I want my death to glorify Jesus. And I will magnify him in my death because the truth is this, all this world that has to offer is nothing compared to the joy of knowing him. And so death is gain because even though I lose everything in this world, I see walking through the gateway of death 
meaning incredible, indescribable, eternally deepening intimacy and joy and experience of seeing, knowing, tasting, loving Jesus. That is what he's saying. What a radical upside down theology to what many churches teach today. The glory of the gospel is only going to be ever experienced as we walk through that gateway of death. And that is why Paul saw it as gain. He's saying, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. And I want to linger on this truth of pursuing joy in God. And when you understand this, the whole Bible explodes into life. And so, for example, we see in these Psalms, we're commanded to pursue our joy in God. Psalm writes, Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Philippians 4, Paul writes again a bit later in the letter, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it, rejoice. It's not a suggestion. I'm not talking about how that's shown necessarily primarily in your life. You might be an introvert and it might be shown very differently to how an extrovert says it. But what I'm saying is the reality in your heart is you enjoy him. You rejoice in him. There's a pursuit and a delight in him. And friends, this is Christianity. This is the gospel. This is what it's all about. It's pursuing joy in him. So the Bible commands it then the Bible implies that evil is not pursuing your joy in God. And so Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2 verse 13 says this, Be appalled, all heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly dismayed, for my people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so what does the Bible say? What is evil? It's this, being presented with the life giving, refreshing fountain of water that comes from God and saying, nah, I'm going to dig something else that is far less satisfying. Or I might bring something temporarily joyful, but it's saying no to the life-giving, eternally satisfying Jesus and saying, I'm going to dig this up. Or I'm going to, I'm going to get my joy for my career. I'm going to get my joy for money. I'm going to get my joy from partying. I'm going to get my joy for my reputation. And none of those things are necessarily wrong. Okay, God wants us to enjoy life. But the foundation is him. And that's what Jeremiah is saying there. It's also implied in what faith is. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is what it means to have faith. You are never the giver to God. You are always the receiver. Anything you ever do for him is through his grace at work in you. And faith is this. It is coming to him and believing he is and believing he rewards If you come to God thinking you're doing him a favor and you're giving him something he lacks, you don't know the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is infinite. He's glorious. He's holy. He doesn't need you at all. He just invites you to enjoy him. And faith is saying, I'm coming because you exist and I'm coming to receive this reward that you give. The purpose of your existence is to glorify God and to enjoy him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And this is for everyone in this room. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, or you maybe have another faith, whatever it is. You're so welcome here. 
not here to Bible bash you, to pressurize you or anything. I'm just here to explain why these group of people get so excited about this stuff. Why do we have this joy of baptism? And it's God himself. It's Jesus himself. And I just pray, even if you don't believe it, you'd capture something. Well, if that was true, I get why they're reacting the way they are. But for Laura, Laureen and Ben, I'm just praying this over you for the rest of your life. Don't let anyone get in the way of robbing you of the pursuit of joy in God. Don't let the battles of life, the cynicism of other people, the negativity of other people, the rubbishness of how we all feel at times, get in the way of saying, God, I'm going to cling to you in this moment. I'm going to pursue you more than anyone else. And that's what I want us to unpack. But there's many people in this room who would call themselves Christians. And I want to say, is your Christianity a pursuit of joining God? Or is it a pursuit in what you want God to do in your life? And we start off by saying, God, I want you more than anything that I want you to do. That's maturity. It's saying, God, I want you more than anything. And he loves to give us things. Don't mishear me. But we just start off with him. And my prayer is the joy of God would rise up in this place. I'm gonna, are you guys still with me? I, I'm going to try and get through this as quickly as I can. Because I want us to worship at the end and pursue joy in him together. Because if this is true, if what I'm saying is biblical, if this is a reality, this is why we exist. There's lots of other great things, but fundamentally we exist to glorify God and to pursue our joy in God, and in doing that, he is most glorified. I just want to give five applications really quickly, if this is true. The first is the difference this makes to Bible reading. It just transforms how you come before this book. You see, this Bible... As we read it, we read it to fall more in love with the God of the Bible, not just to read stuff. We read this relationally, spiritually, rather than academically. We, we come and, uh, and we say, God, breathe life into my heart, into my soul as I read this. As St. Augustine puts it, the Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. Do you come to this wonderful love letter from the King every day and say, God, speak into my life? Pour joy. I want to know you. A.W. Tozer once said, many Christians worship a God they barely know. Do you know God? Really know him. And the way we get to know him primarily is swimming in his word. And I'm not saying every day you get down, you do cartwheels with Jesus, and there he is sat in front of you, and you're like, wow, this is awesome. But the consistency, the constancy, the plodding with Jesus, day in, day out, swimming in this. There are times when he draws near. But even when you don't feel him, he's still at work. And when you know God, you become a person who can really enjoy him for who he is. And so we open this book to enjoy him, primarily. We come to this word wanting to feast on God himself. We come with a heart that is hungry to meet with him, to be satisfied him, to enjoy him. And can I encourage you... uh, Please read this Bible first rather than listening to sermons, rather than watching TV, like Christian TV. God wants a one-on-one relationship with you. This isn't about a holy man of God or woman telling you what God believes or thinks. He wants you to know him. He wants you to draw near to him. And he wants you to swim in this word and get to know him personally. And when you say, God, I want to enjoy you. I want to know you. 
It transforms your whole attitude and experience and commitment to reading the Bible. Spurgeon once said this, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. Second application is prayer. We come to spend time with God in order to enjoy him more. There is an absolute place for intercession. Don't mishear me. I've got 12 intercession sheets, 143 people I pray for every day. Well, that's a lie. As regularly as I can. God's here, I can't lie. (laughs) But as regularly as I can. There's nothing wrong with intercession. But part of prayer is just spending time with our Father and enjoying Him. And just saying, God, I'm not going to rattle through this list. I'm going to do that other times, but I want to just enjoy you. When was the last time you just wept in his presence? Just one-on-one in that secret place. You want to be someone who's sold out for Jesus? It happens in the secret place more than it does on a Sunday morning. You want to be a life that is rooted in him. Spend time with him. What if love was spelt T-I-M-E? How much do you love God, really? How much time do you spend in him in prayer? And when we pray, he draws near. And we pursue his presence, we enjoy his love, we swim in his grace. God is most glorified in prayer when the people praying are most satisfied in him. Application number three. Are you guys still with me? Good. Obedience transforms your whole perspective on holiness and obedience. Now, let me just say this. We obey him whether we feel it or not. But the truth is this. Something shifted in my life. God was glorified when I walked away from those parties and didn't get hammered with my mates like I used to and and still at times struggled to do and did. But God's grace was enough for me. But as I walked away from those parties, gutted, resentful almost to God that I was missing out on all this fun, he was glorified. Because in a sense I was saying, I I, I want to honour you more than I want to do that. But let me put it another way. If I'd walked away from those parties, which I did, when God was working in my heart, and say, God, I love you so much. You are so much more infinitely enjoyable than just being with my mates getting hammered, the, the chasing women. You're infinitely more enjoyable than that. And as I walk away in that moment, God is more greatly glorified than he was in the previous moment. And so I want to ask in your life, You might be living a great life for Jesus, but the volume might only be half full. You you might have nothing wrong in your life, and you might tut-tut at other people who do. But I want to say, where's your heart this morning? Are you enjoying him? Do you delight in him? Do you treasure him? And when you understand that is the heart that God is pursuing, it transforms this sense of obedience. Because in, in Matthew 13, verse 44, I don't know if I've got, no, I haven't got that on. He tells this very one-verse parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is what it means to follow Jesus. You sell everything. You surrender everything. He's not just on the shelf alongside other idols. He's king. He's everything in your life. That's what Christianity is, just in case you weren't aware. But you don't just do that. You see in this verse, it's... For the joy he did it. In his joy he sold everything and pursued that. And that is the difference. 
When obedience springs from a heart that is so satisfied in God that I'm going to honour you with my tax return because I value more than I do about the few hundred pounds I might get back. I'm going to value you more than, than a reputation regardless of what other people think. I'm going to value more than a career if you're telling me to do other things. I'm going to value more. That is when God is most glorified in our lives. And maybe there's someone here this morning and you're struggling to obey God in an area of your life. Bring it to Jesus. Confession, repentance, key. 100% the starting point. But this is the way you battle sin. It isn't simply saying no to sin. It's about saying yes to Jesus. It's saying, Jesus, I want to be so satisfied in you that the temptation loses the weight that's in my heart because I want to pursue my joy in you and know you. And this is all a work of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in a moment. Fourth thing. Are you guys okay? So I'm kind of going on. Fourth thing is weakness. Transforms our perspective on weakness. You see, in the midst of struggles, suffering, and weakness, there's a purpose to be clung to. God doesn't cause the suffering, but he does use it. This is what Paul knew when he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 and 10. He says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. This is the key. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, weakness is not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. Weakness doesn't disqualify you from experiencing the power of God. It actually qualifies you. And and we've built this church here on a culture of grace and we'll never lose that. Not one person in this room has it all together. I know you. And I don't know all of you, but I know you. I don't. We're all Muppets saved by grace. With a life of joy and a life of struggles. A life of strengths and a life of making big mistakes that we regret. And in those moments of weakness, we come and say, God, I'm not going to try this without you. I'm going to cling to you. And I tell you what, in that moment, God is more glorified. He's more glorified in the person who has no education no social background, nothing that the world would look to and think, well, that's obviously going to do that. But he takes weak people and does something incredible through them. And in that moment, he is so glorified. And then we see that we just cling to him and we draw near to him. And he loves us. And he comes with compassion and grace and says, my grace is sufficient for you. So if you're here this morning and you just feel weak and broken... And you say, I can't do it. You don't have to have a week's worth of perfect quiet times before God wants to meet with you today. You just come as you are and you say, God, in my weakness, your power is made perfect. It's not in my strength. It's in my weakness. And when we get that, God is more glorified. You kind of sometimes get the impression that some people talk about walking with Jesus almost as if they're doing him a favour and it's almost like yeah I'm doing this all this stuff for God look at me I'm great may we never be those people may we be people who come in here take off any religious masks I hate them and just say in my weakness God I'm clinging to you and in that moment of weakness he is more glorified in our lives 
And then finally is worship. It must transform as we worship as a church family together. You see, as we gather, as we sing, we're gathering to declare his glory, his magnificence, his worth. It's about singing, but it's also about savoring. It's about declaring, but it's also about delighting. And as we worship in singing and in music, God draws near and we enjoy the God we're singing about. We don't have Christian karaoke. We have a relationship with the King that we sing to, we adore, we enjoy. And when there's a group of people who enjoy God together, anything can happen. And so this morning, if you're part of this church, can I say, please, come on time. Come at half ten, 25 past ten. Let's enjoy God together right from the start. And when we do sing, let's enjoy him and pursue him together. And as a family, say, God, this is about you. We adore you. We enjoy you. I'm taking my eyes off myself onto you. And as we do that, he is so glorified in this place. Because it is all about him. And so when we come together to sing out his praises, we want to adore him in our hearts. So I want to ask you, are you purpose-driven in worship? We're going to worship in song now. And as we sing, I want to encourage those of us who call ourselves Christians, not just to sing words on a screen, but say, God, come and conjure something up in my heart that enjoys you. Because the only way we can do this is through a work of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way we can enjoy God. It is a supernatural revelation. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, and we desperately need him. So let's stand and I'll pray. And we're just going to launch into a time of just adoring him together. I don't know what you're walking through. He does. So Holy Spirit, awaken in hearts in this room a fresh revelation of the magnificence, the beauty, the worth, the glory of God. Come, Holy Spirit. Just begin to engage with him. Maybe if this is something that God's been speaking to, just put your hands in front of you as a, as a sign of, God, I want to come empty. I want to receive. I come in faith to receive this reward. So, Lord, draw near to us this morning, I pray. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The battle remains, but the joy sees you through. And even death has lost its sting. As we get to see him. So Holy Spirit, come. Not just words spoken, but truths in our heart. We welcome you, Lord. Let's draw near to him together. Let's enjoy him together. Let's pursue him together.